Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the, lo- the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the angels said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Thank you, Isaac. We're going to reflect on that passage as soon as I get myself sorted out. It's great to be here on Christmas Day. Happy Christmas to you. I hope today is a good one for you. Should I move this? Nope. Okay. Uh, I reckon most of us have got hopes for today of some kind. Um, Being Christmas Day, uh, some sort of treasure that's in our heart about the day today. Maybe it's a great present or two for the children or the grandchildren. Maybe it's a really nice family time with a friend or uh, uh, someone else. Uh, some good food, relaxation, holidays, cricket. It's, it's all stored away these summer days in Australia. I wonder what you're thinking about today. What's in your mind and your heart as you sit here listening to me today? Maybe if you're a busy person like many, you've been treasuring up hopes for this day to come, the feasting, the celebration and the relaxation that follows. Maybe you're thinking of a holiday as well, going away. It's a nice end to the year. And uh, we're thinking about letting go of our troubles and our care for a week or two, maybe three. You may be dreading today. Maybe today emphasises how alone you are. 
your biggest hope might be to at least share part of the day with someone. A friend, a neighbour, a family member, but someone. Whatever your thoughts, your hopes, your dreads, Luke tells us that if we have the heart for it, Christmas is full of treasure. In verse 19, we read, as we saw a moment ago, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. In other words, she committed them to her memory. She stored, stored them away. She held on to them. And more, more, Luke says, she pondered them uh, in her heart. She turned them over and over in her mind to consider what they might mean, thinking deeply about them again and again, that she might perhaps grasp what is really going on here, the full weight of it. But what was it that Mary treasured up in her heart? We're going to see this morning that it really depends on the story that is in your own heart. Many things, uh, many other things that we treasure up, and most of them are fairly ephemeral, fairly everyday kind of hopes that we treasure up. As a bloke of grandfather age, I treasure up the delights of my grandchildren as they open their presents that we give them and enjoy them. I'm looking forward to that today. Um, It's a lovely, but it's a common pleasure and treasure. But perhaps you have something uh, else as a treasure. It might be the season's trimmings, the carols, the decorations, the Christmas trees, the feasting, the summer heat, the crickets, and all the rest. Mary, of course, if we think about her situation, had none of that. There was no big festival uh, that she was celebrating. She wasn't looking forward to some, a chicken dinner or anything like that. She's going through a pretty tough experience, if you think about it. She's just 15 or 16, which was the normal age for engagements and marriage in that day and culture. But more than that, she's pregnant and the wedding day hasn't happened yet. And this looks pretty awkward to the the outsider, of course. It's quite socially a difficult situation. You can imagine how they'd roll their eyes when she said, God made me pregnant. On top of all of that, the government has ordered that everyone go to their family town to be counted in the census. So she's had to trek on foot with Joseph while she was heavily pregnant, a journey of about 150 kilometres. I hope there was a donkey to help, but none is mentioned. I hope there was one. And so not, long, not so long before the baby is due, she's ended up in this, I presume, a strange town, Bethlehem. Maybe she's passed through it at other times, but here she is, heavily pregnant, She's in the ancient and great King David's hometown because she's from that family. And the best accommodation they've been able to find 
At this busy time, lots of that family have gathered in Bethlehem. The best accommodation is a stable with the restlessness and the smells that go with it. And she has had, no doubt, all the normal anxieties of giving birth for the first time. Was there another woman to help her? Uh, We just don't know. None of this is the romance that, of what we imagine. We look at our nativity scenes and our heart is warmed by the loveliness of it. But it wasn't very romantic for her. This has been tough. But still, we read that she treasured up and pondered these experiences. What was it? Well, we need to go to the biggest story that she knew she was part of, her backstory. She's a Jewish girl, and there are three parts to her backstory. One is that she belonged to a people that was formed by God himself, the family that traced its origins to the very ancient Abraham, the man who trusted God and a people who were brought out of slavery in Egypt and made a nation by God by covenant at Mount Sinai in the desert. That's the first thing she knew about herself. Secondly, she is living under the oppression of foreign powers. As a nation, uh, Israel failed dreadfully to live up to their end of the bargain with God, but God fearfully lived up to his side of the bargain. And so they eventually, after much patience from God, were exiled to live under foreign powers. The larger part of the nation was lost to the Assyrians. The rest went to Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar, which was then passed on to the Persians. Even when they returned from exile to their own land, still the foreign powers controlled their lives. First it was the Greeks under Alexander the Great, and then in Mary's time the Romans are in control. There are soldiers everywhere, and they felt the heavy weight of Roman occupation. It was was a difficult life for them. And yet, thirdly, they were a people of great hope. God had said to King King David a thousand years before, he said, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Isaiah spoke of the day when all warring and battle will cease. In the passage read by Wendy a moment ago, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince 
of peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. So here is the promise that every Jew held in their heart of an eternal ruler who is mighty God himself, who would free them, give them as a people uh, peace and a future that could not be taken away from them by anyone. This backstory, this meta-narrative, if you like, was powerfully alive in the heart of every believing Jew, including Mary. It was rehearsed again and again in Jewish religious life and made all the more painfully urgent because of the brutal hand of the Romans. This was the bigger story that Mary knew she was part of, and she had the experience she did as she had the experience she did at that time. This is what made her decide what is worth calling treasure and what is not worth calling treasure. Well, what then? What was she treasuring up in her experience? Well, if we'd gone back to chapter 1, we would have read about the angel Gabriel coming to her and, she, he, um, and he was the one who first told her that she was to have a baby, that she was to name Jesus, even though she was unmarried, a virgin. What did the angel say about the child at the time? He said that this child will be called the Son of the Most High. He will sit on David's throne to rule, and his kingdom will never end. That was back in chapter 1 when she first heard the angel. And how did Mary respond? This godly young woman said, I am the Lord's servant. Elizabeth, not long after, again in chapter 1, not long after Mary's angel Gabriel moment, Elizabeth, who was an elderly relative of Mary's, under the hand of God, said that this child, Mary's child, not her own child, but this Mary's child, was my Lord. Zechariah, who was Elizabeth's husband, who has a story of his own, but he says about Mary's child, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who fate us to show mercy to our ancestors, to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. What marvellous truths that she treasured up. And then there's the manger. Well, the manger didn't say anything, but... With the backdrop of everything is said by 
Gabriel on one hand, um, Elizabeth and Zechariah, with everything that had been said before this to her, my guess that it would not have escaped Mary's notice that the child about whom all this is said, this child was to be born in such humble circumstances and to such a humble nobody of a woman such as herself. She was not rich or powerful. What a beautiful God he is. She even says it herself in chapter 1. He is a God who lifts up the humble and brings down the proud and the strong and the powerful. And finally, in chapter 2, we have the shepherds. What did they hear? More angels. The angel said that a saviour has been born who is Christ the Lord. In other words, this child is the Messiah. The word Christ means Messiah. This child is God's long-promised eternal saviour king for his people, the one who will bring that peace that was promised long before to a disobedient and rebellious humanity who would otherwise face his wrath. A whole army of angels gathered in the heavens then and sang above these bewildered shepherds out in the fields. They sang of the glory of God being revealed in this child. And how do the shepherds feel about it? Well, they say that he is indeed the Lord. And those angels were telling the truth. He is indeed the one for whom glory and praise to God belong. So all of these are the things that Mary pondered. These are the great wonders she treasured and pondered in her heart. No doubt with many humble questions, um, how will he save What will his peace look like? Will it be like the Roman peace? Brutal peace? Surely not. And if he's born like this, what sort of kingdom will his be? What sort of person shall he be? Well, is this treasure for us? We all have our personal story, don't we? It's a story you've brought with you this morning, a story that is occupying your mind at this very moment. And you're shaping your decisions about the day ahead based around your story. But you may or may not have considered the the truth, whatever your personal story may be, whether you want to be or not, that you are actually caught up yourself in this larger story. And strangely enough, it's a backstory that overlaps with Mary's story. You may not be a Jew, but it was the same God who made you for himself when he created the world. This is God's world. He made it 
He made us all, every one of us. He's just given us that breath that we just breathed. A bit like Israel, we turned our backs on our creator. We adopted a my life, my rules attitude to him. Why should God tell me how to live my life? We think to ourselves. God has warned us that our attitude is leading us to absolute and irretrievable disaster, death and judgment. But he promised, as we've already seen, to send someone to save and to rule as the global king, as the king who will go on ruling forever and ever. And that person, Isaiah and other promised, would not just be for Jewish people like Mary, Elizabeth and Zechariah, but for all of us who are Gentiles, who are not Jews as well. And so in Isaiah 49, God the Lord says, speaking of this uh, one to come, it is too small a thing for you to be, a, to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, that is the Jews, and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. A light for the Gentiles, that's us. He is the one who can save you and me at the judgment to come. And the treasure of Mary is the wonder that this baby she has born is that person. He is the saviour king. And he sent also for you. We know what Mary at this point of the story does not, of course. We have the rest of Jesus' story, that he will fight against and defeat the greatest of all of our enemies, though we don't give it much of a thought, but the great enemy of our stubborn, rebellious hearts, our sin, against death itself and against the evil one, He will do this by carrying our sins to the cross and he will pay for them himself on our behalf. And he will prove his victory over our enemies, sin and death. He will prove it through the way on how he, on the third day, conquered death by rising from the grave as king over all, even death. And so as you sit here today, you are somewhere in this larger story. Whatever you're thinking about luncheon this afternoon, you're involved in a bigger story. Many of you know this, and you've committed your trust to Jesus Christ and have your hope in him to save you as you celebrate this Christmas and his coming. He is your personal King and Saviour. Others of you, no doubt, are sitting on the fence about this Jesus. 
You're unwilling to surrender everything to Jesus, but you're hoping that by being a little bit religious and hoping for the best, everything will work out, which I have to tell you will not happen. Only darkness and loss. Yet others are in this story as rebels. You know how you've lived for yourself. You're ignoring the creator who gave you life. And his son, Jesus, sent for you. Today I want to invite all of you, whoever you are, to look upon all that he's said about this child who is the saviour, this king who rules even death itself and all creation and is the judge of all men and women and to treasure up the words spoken and to ponder and reflect upon just as Mary did turning these truths over in your mind and in your heart. As we sang a moment ago, come, let's adore him. For this child represents the only true hope available in this world, which is a dark place that is getting darker. A world that is the sad and plain demonstration that the humanist dream so many have clung to has completely failed. If you will humbly consider the things said of this Jesus and you will trust him this day, I assure you, you will find in him true treasure that is worth giving up everything you have to possess. And many of us who are sitting here today have already found that wonderful treasure. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the godly Mary who did not rebel against the angel's word who took note of Elizabeth and Zachariah's words, who listened to the testimony of the shepherds as they uh, spoke of the angels and who had appeared to them in heaven about this child. We thank you that she did not dismiss it and just get on with the day, but she turned these truths over in her mind to understand the depths and beauty and wonder of what you, our God, were doing in the world in the birth of this child. And so we pray that you would give us the same heart as Mary, a willingness to ponder and to consider and reflect upon what you have done for us, even us Gentiles, And help us to find greater and deeper joy in this day by meeting Jesus afresh. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.